Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of uh, Big Ideas on the Go. Uh, I'm thrilled to have as our guest uh, this time around, uh, Bjorn Watney, uh, CISO at uh, Telenor, a uh, telecommunications company based out of uh, Norway. Uh, I believe, Bjorn, you are the first uh, first guest we've had on from, uh, from Norway. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me. Good to be the, the first person out. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, maybe just to get things started, uh, it'd be fantastic to just hear a little bit about you, um, your background, uh, maybe tell us a little, about, a little bit about your journey in security and your responsibilities at uh, Telenor. Absolutely. So um, if you go back uh, 22, 23 years, I graduated from uh, university with a bachelor in, in computer science. At the time, uh, security wasn't part of any of the syllabus, uh, even uh, as we were doing programming and network design and, uh, and whatnot, we were, we were not having anything on, on security at the time. But uh, chance had it that I started a, um, a startup at the time, going into uh, security monitoring, uh, intrusion detection and incident response. And if you then fast forward uh, 22 years, uh, here I am. So uh, during those 20 or so years, I've been about 50% in, in telecoms um, and the other 50% I've been working in financial services. So uh, both are industries uh, that are quite reliant on, uh, on technology uh, and maybe especially uh, in financial services, uh, also very regulated. And uh, of the latest years, uh, very regulated as well around uh, uh, cybersecurity. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, you and I have been kind of uh, probably, it sounds like followed similar paths. I've been in around security for 22 years. It'd be, it'd be great to hear from you. What would you think were some of those inflection points maybe in kind of cyber um, over the last kind of two decades um, with a maybe particular eye towards the last kind of uh, 10 or so years? What do you think people, what do you think has, has kind of had the most impact on you, on your industry? I would say the, um, to the degree we have made ourselves dependent uh, on the digital infrastructure. So if you look at the very beginning of my career, uh, the meetings we had at the time, a lot uh, of the time went into explaining to the other party why our services were required. Uh, because they would usually respond with, but we have antivirus. <laughs> and, uh, and sort of the, the understanding of the, of the threats and also the potential effects of an outage were more in terms of like a minor nuisance, uh, but these days they can be life and death. So if you look at the uh, the evolution of own security, I have a good friend here, here in Norway. He, um, he works for the national security uh, authorities and he has this uh, a bit of a dark uh, humored joke uh, where he puts up a picture of his own gravestone. And uh, and uh, and obviously he he had he had died, and on the gravestone says uh, at least his personal information was confidential. So the joke is that uh, since the doctors uh, weren't able to to get his sort of medical data, they they gave him the wrong medication or they they gave him no medication, and and he died as as a consequence of that. So I think 
our world have come so become so dependent now on uh, on the digital infrastructure um so that maybe confidentiality the importance of confidentiality has become less over the past few years but the importance of availability and, and integrity of the information uh, has become uh, much more important so that i think is the yeah maybe the biggest evolution uh, because 20 years ago every head of security that i spoke with was a male and he had uh, one out of two backgrounds he was either ex-military or ex-policeman yeah and uh, that is not the case in in 2023 so uh which is yeah, a good thing. digitalization of society yeah yeah, it's, it's a good thing, both from a diversity standpoint, and I think to kind of the broadening scope. But, um, you know, let's maybe kind of touch a little bit on that in terms of kind of the integrity and confidentiality kind of of, of people data. Um, you know, you're you're kind of right within Europe, obviously, there's a high emphasis placed on on privacy. Uh, at the same time, data data needs to flow to the right right individual or the right application uh, for the right task. And you gave the example of your friend and and, and you know, the joke around getting the right medicine. So how do you balance that? You know, you're in a you're kind of smack dab in the middle of a communications company that is kind of dealing with some of that uh, yin and yang or the kind of the the kind of two sides of that problem. So what are your thoughts around how to balance on the one hand that kind of confidentiality and at the same time getting that kind of data for the right purpose to the right uh, application or user? Yeah, I think it's very important to involve um, the individuals. Uh, whose data we are processing uh, and to be transparent. So um, obviously when we are sharing personal data, uh, it can be internal in, in our company with different parts of the company, or it could be externally to, uh, to partners uh, or third parties. It's very important to be transparent. Uh, so every subject that is entering information or giving us information for us to, to process, uh, we need to be 100% clear on what we are using it for and with whom we are sharing. And, uh, and it can often be difficult um, to relay this in, in layman terms to, to, to the broader population so they actually understand uh, the consequences of what we do. But, but that is what we're trying to do, to be very clear um, in the dialogue with our, well, the customers of our, our services uh, to make it transparent how we use the data. Um, another thing is, is um, yeah, well, for obvious reasons, uh, there are regulatory requirements that we need to follow. And I think uh, I used to, like I mentioned, I used to work in financial services as well. Um, and one of the, the things that we did there was, um, was insurance. And uh, by processing people's data, both the publicly available one and the one that we had stored, it was, it's, it's easy to predict sort of where they are in their lives, uh, and 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 uh, yeah, so 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 I think ethics and regulation also comes into play. So it's a it's a balance about following the regulations, following the 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 ethics, yeah. uh, and also being having an open and honest dialogue with the uh, with the subjects uh, whose data you are processing. And, and, you know, kind of related to that question, you know, you talked a little bit about kind of 20 years ago, everybody came out of the police force, everybody came out of the military, and they were all kind of guys. And today, it's much more of a diverse uh, kind of set of backgrounds. Uh, and obviously, they train now in computer science courses on this. But um, with the greater emphasis on data, you know, what you talked a little bit about in terms of uh, how you process the data and, and what you do with the data, 
Um, is that a big part of what people care about when it comes to cyber? And how much is, of this in your organization bubbles up to the executives like CEO, CIO, even the board? I would say not not so much. Uh, so me personally, I report uh, regularly to the board. Uh, every quarter there is a uh, there is a fixed meeting uh, with the current status, uh, trends and developments. Um, but usually what we're looking at there is the um, the threat landscape and the uh, the risk uh, posture of the all the different parts of the organization. And uh, of course, whether or not we have uh, we have had an incident or, or the level of impact and, and so on. So when it comes to privacy, um, that is on the radar and it is something that we, we monitor. Um, but usually it's more around enterprise risk management uh, than going too much into the details because obviously it's a uh, it's yeah. very high level uh, with the board of directors and they, they cannot sort of get into the, uh, the nitty gritty of, of too much. No, no, I can't imagine they can. Um, how does cloud change things, right? So, you know, over the course of the 20 years, Maybe about a decade ago, cloud became kind of a thing. Arguably, it's accelerating now. Uh, you probably have your own cloud platform. Does that change any of your thinking around uh, the integrity, security of data, privacy of data? But also, you, as you talked about the risk, the risk of data loss uh, and data um, exfiltration. Yes, absolutely. It changes. Uh, it changes everything. So. Um... Inherently, the, the big cloud platforms are very secure. The uh, capabilities and the capacity around uh, security in all the, the big hyperscalers uh, is very good. And it's much more mature than most of the other companies with, with on-prem uh, on solutions. Uh, but another interesting uh, aspect of that is that you need to be able to, to use those capabilities for them to do you any good. So uh, independent studies uh, from, from, for example, Gartner will show you that uh, of 100 uh, confidentiality breaches in cloud platforms, 90% were due to uh, the client themselves misconfiguring uh, yeah. their service. Yeah. Uh, and that is something then that you need to sort of put the detective and prevent or corrective controls in place to make sure that this doesn't happen. So, yeah. so I would say... The, the possibilities of, of securing your data are very good, uh, but you need to, uh, to make sure that you mitigate uh, the chances of making a mistake. And um, also you have the, um, the geopolitical issue and, and uh, the geographic location uh, of the cloud uh, uh, or where the data is actually physically hosted. Uh, we see with a GDPR, for example, that uh, between the Europe and, and, and US, uh, it's a problem. And uh, even though we want to put things in the cloud, it's not necessarily that we we can do that because the laws are different from, from the United States and, and Europe. And then we need to make sure that we are using a European branch of the cloud. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of sort of lawyers that need to come in and help us doing security. So. Very often, I, I feel I'm turning into a, a politician or a lawyer more than a security professional these days. Look, we see it. In fact, I was just uh, posting uh, something right before we got on the on the call about uh, cross-border 
uh, data flows, data sovereignty, how to better manage that. Uh, and, and also, you know, previously as, as we've kind of, as a company started talking more about DSPM, uh, and partnering with, uh, folks like Wiz around, uh, configuration, um, or our cloud security posture management, right. The whole kind of conf configuration, um, uh, issue that Wiz and, and I think, um, um, uh, uh, Palo Alto and others are kind of uh, tackling. So, uh, I agree. Um, in around data, data security. So you talked, you just touched on kind of like data sovereignty a little bit, and and you know the importance of having uh, local kind of residency for your data, since there's national laws that now kind of dictate how where where you can send the data and where you cannot. Is that one of the big themes you see for the next couple of years? Um, and then what else are the big themes as it pertains to data security and maybe particularly in the cloud? Yeah, I, I think that we will, uh, as I mentioned, uh, sort of in the beginning, that we 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 are becoming so so independent on the digital infrastructure for for everything we do, uh, the society as a whole. So I think availability and resilience uh, will be a, a key thing going forward. So there will be. Uh, we already see that um, uh, in the financial services industry, for example, we we. Uh, we recently got the DORA, the Digital Operational Resilience uh, Act, um, put into play in November last year for the financial services industry in, in Europe. Um, there are other uh, resilience acts coming up. Uh, and I think that we will see for every sector, for every business, uh, we will see more regulation around um, ensuring a resilience and robustness uh, in the platforms. and. Um, and also integrity. Uh, I mean, this is this is a very broad topic, but uh, uh, and without being being too political again, I would say that how information is used and misused. Uh, we have AI now with with auto generated text that looks almost like a human wrote it. We have uh, technology allowing us from a three second audio sample to uh, recreate the person's voice. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, video solutions that can provide a deep fake image to make sure that the information that you receive uh, or the integrity of the mission you receive and, and the source behind that this is real uh, is also something I think will be a key, a key element going forward. So both integrity and availability, I think, will get a stronger focus uh, from a regulatory side, but also from, from a business perspective, because it's required to, uh, to run the business and, and to be profitable going forward. Yeah, and I think I think you touched on an interesting topic that I've been kind of spending some time with lately, which is kind of that authenticity, right? I think it is easy to recreate uh, identities. You know, we talked about in the past spoofing identities. Well, you know, it takes on a whole new dimension when uh, when a machine could essentially um, uh, replicate your voice and your image and uh, your your thoughts and kind of cadences. Um, you know, maybe just to finish up. Um, you know, we touched at the very beginning, you're, you're our first guest from, from Norway. You know, I would love to get your point of view and maybe something to kind of edify our audience. What do you think beyond some of this data sovereignty laws? Um, what's the point of view of, you know, Norway when it comes to kind of data privacy, data integrity, data security, cyber more broadly? And maybe, you know, I'll ask you also to kind of expand to the broader kind of, um, uh, Nordics region. So we'd love to get your take on that. 
Yeah, um, well, it, it, it's quite interesting, actually. We um, maybe you've heard of the expression, the, the, the Scandinavian model. Um, it's used a lot in, in, uh, in leadership, for example. And uh, what it is, it's, it's based a lot on, on trust. So in general, uh, both in, in, in Norway, but also between uh, the countries up in Scandinavia, the level of trust is very high. And when there is a lot of trust, it reduces uh, demand for control. So it means that we can operate more efficient, more effectively um, than other parts of the world where there are a lot of requirements to, to control of, of everything. Uh, we also have a very low degree of corruption. Uh, and again, it goes back to that inherent trust. Um, there is a problem with that now. <laughs> when with the coming, for example, uh, uh, the large language models and then uh, GPT-4 is very, very hot these days. Uh, because there is an there is an expression that says uh, hackers don't break in, they log in. And uh, the meaning behind that is that it's it's a lot easier to to try and fish credentials from a person and use their username and password to log into a service than it is to actually try and break logic in an application and uh, and that yeah. way enter the application. And when you then have society with a lot of trust and you have really, really smart uh, AI technology that can mimic a human on the other hand. And the third, uh, that after the pandemic, we are more and more doing our interactions uh, at least through work on digital platforms. Yeah. Then you can have a sort of a problem because a very trusty, trustworthy person in the uh, one end and there's a robot in the other end and you're all interacting digital. So we that as, uh, as possibly, um, uh, that could possibly be a bit of a, a problem for us going forward. Yeah, no, look, 100%. And I think it's interesting, your commentary about uh, kind of trust. But I know that um, I haven't heard that particular phrase that, uh, you know, bad people or bad guys don't always uh, uh, break in. So they sometimes just kind of log in. But it's true. I think uh, uh, it's easier. It used to be just about looking for credentials. And I think increasingly that that attack surface in terms of people getting access inadvertently through maybe uh, spoofing or mimicking uh, has grown. So mm -hmm. interesting point. So uh, look, Bjorn, I think this was fantastic. Uh, I really kind of appreciate uh, you coming on. I know it's it's late in the day there. So I want to be especially uh, thankful and, and grateful for, for you doing this. Um, so thank you again. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased now you've kind of broke the ice, so to speak, as I'm not sure if that's a phrase. It's a phrase we had in Canada. I'm not sure it's a phrase you have in uh, in Norway uh, as being our first uh, guest from uh, from from your country, uh, but hopefully not the last. So thank you again, Bjorn. Thank you very much. And we, we definitely also have ice in Norway. So it's uh, well received, this expression, yes. I know. We play we play uh, gold medal hockey against you guys every so often. So, uh, so I know that. Um, so thank you again. And then, uh, you know, just maybe some parting words to the rest of the audience. Uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, again, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify or otherwise. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you again, Bjorn.